morning. If you would, grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we got them in the back. Just raise your hand, we'll bring one to you. But grab your Bibles and open them up, probably around the middle of the Bible, the book of Psalm. It's Old Testament. Turn to Psalm 139. It'll be a little bit before we actually read from there. Psalm 139 is where we're going. Just a little bit. Let me ask you this question. I've been asking it for the last couple weeks. What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Now, parents, some of you have been asking your kids that. Maybe you've been asking other people that to sort of fulfill their, their wish list whether they have one or not. And you've probably heard some people give you a list. Oh, I want this, I want that. You've had other people say, oh, I don't want anything for Christmas. Just, let's just be together as family, you know, whatever. They still want something, right? Gentlemen, we made that clear last week. I don't care what she says. Oh, I don't want anything. She still wants something, so figure it out, okay? And if not, we'll give you that list, okay? But what we determined last week, too, was that the stuff, the presents, the gifts... The materialism of all that isn't really fulfilling. Material possessions don't really satisfy our deepest needs. So what we talked about was how Jesus Christ came to this earth and he's brought us hope. He's brought us peace. Last week we talked about how he's brought us joy. And Joy Frucci was probably just squirming in her seat last week because I used her name in vain about 50 times. That make you uncomfortable last week? About as much as when Pastor Landon kept talking about the stumps, and I was sitting out. Yeah, that was so uncomfortable. But there's more than just hope and peace and joy. There's more that we get at Christmas because we need more than just the hope and peace and joy. We need more. It's like when you go to the Christmas tree and you're maybe it's a birthday party and there's a present. There's another present. It's like wait, wait, wait. Got one more yet? And like there's another one. That's today's message, really. There's another one. There's another something that we discover at Christmas. The Apostle Paul, Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 13, we've all heard it at every wedding ceremony, the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind, right? But at the very end, it says this, three things last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So if you glean through the Bible, you're going to hear the topic of love over 700 times. Over 700 times. You know, I know it's not all about loving God. There's other things in it about the love of the world where love is used. But think about that. Love is mentioned a lot in the Bible. Let me hear you say love. Love. Look at the person next to you and say love. Look at them again and say we need love. All right, yeah, there's you. Uh, we need to work on this this morning. That was very pathetic. Love. We need love or whatever. That was, well, I guess I didn't really give you a lot to say there, but I was, guess I was expecting more. But we need love, don't we? Yes, absolutely we need love. Sometimes it feels like we live in a world where brokenness overshadows love. And we, we cling to the Hallmark movies, right? And uh, the Disney fairy tales believing in true love and happy endings, right? But when we find love, we're so giddy with excitement. But it seems in time, some of those feelings fade. Disagreements start to appear. And arguments start to arise. 
And we wonder if we really loved that other person in the first place. And, and we wonder if they really loved us. And we wonder, was, was, this, was it really love or was it something else? We begin to question true love and happy endings. Church, we long for true love. We really do. Deep down in our hearts, we really long for love. But sometimes it feels like we're chasing a fog that quickly disappears. We want to love. We want to be loved. But sometimes we feel abandoned, don't we? Some of us have maybe been abandoned. Maybe mom left. Maybe dad left. Maybe your spouse left. Maybe a friend left. Somebody left. And now you feel like you are nothing but left empty. And there was a time when God's people felt that way. Oh, you look through the Old Testament, you're reading, reading, reading. But then there was a period where all of a sudden it felt like, where's God? You know, it's been a long time since we've heard from God. Actually, once you fill in the blank there, it's been a long time since, and you just sort of put something in there, okay? It's been a long time since. Hmm. Some of you out there right now, you're like, it's been a long time since the Browns have won, right? Yeah, they're 0-13. They may not win a game this season. And before some of you Detroit Lion fans get all giddy about that one, you can go back to 2000, 2007, 2009, when they lost 19 games in a row. Starting in 2007, 2008, they didn't even win a game. Then 2009, they lost a couple more. 19 games. They were sitting there, too, wondering, when will we win a game? It's been a long time since we won. Well, let me give you a few more streaks. 76, 77, the NFL Tampa Bay Buccaneers went 0 for 14 in 76, and then they went 0 for 12 at the beginning of 77. They went 26 games without winning. That's a long time without a win, isn't it? 2010, 2011, Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, they wanted to blame LeBron James, right? He left. 26 losses later, they finally won a game. Philadelphia 76ers sort of match that a couple years later with a 26-game losing streak. But let me give you another one. The NJIT Highlanders, they're a Division I basketball team, went 51 games without a win. 51 games without a win. That, that's tough, isn't it? 79-82, Northwestern Wildcats. I don't know. The Zen's family sort of looking at each other right now. They lost 34 games in a row Starting in 1979, three years later, they finally won a game. That's tough, right? It gets worse. D3, Division Three, Caltech basketball team. 26 years of losing. They could not beat anybody in their conference. So they won a couple games outside their conference. But for 26 years, anybody in their conference, they couldn't win a game. You think about this, from 1985 to 2011, they couldn't win a conference game. And then there's the Chicago Cubs, who went over 100 years without winning a World Series, right? But they celebrated the end of their drought, okay? And some of you are saying, why are we talking about all this? Because I want you to picture in your mind what it feels like to go a long time without something. Can you imagine 26 years without winning a ball game in your conference? And some of you are having a rough season, whether it's, I mean, we're 0-5 right now. You've gone three or four weeks without a winning. I know that's tough. But can you imagine 400 years waiting for something to happen? I mean, people are living and dying and never seeing it. You know, some people in that 26-year span, they finally get to see their team win, right? But 400 years, 
you're born and dead and you've not saw what you hoped to see. And what was it that they were hoping to see? God and his love. For 400 years, silence. See, if you go to the New Testament or the Old Testament, the last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. The prophet Malachi was writing down, you know, this is what God has spoken to me, and I'm sharing that with you. But then at the end of Malachi, to the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, 400 years, nothing. 400 years, no prophets of God. 400 years, God's not speaking and write this down in a book. 400 years of silence. But suddenly the silence is broken as an angelic host lit up the night. And we know this from Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, where it says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 400 years, the silence is broken. An angelic host comes forth and says, Today, what you've been waiting for for over 400 years, that long period, that long drought, that, that time of loss, and that time of, where are you, God? God, where's the love? 400 years, the drought has ended. Today, a Messiah has been born, a Savior. It's there. The long streak of God's silence comes to an end, and there's a celebration like never before. You thought the Cubs celebrated really well with a big parade? Nothing like this celebration that lit up the sky. The coming Messiah, the amazing Almighty Savior was born. And since that moment in history, we've been celebrating nonstop. For over 2,000 years, we've been celebrating the breaking of that silence. We've been celebrating the coming of the Messiah. And maybe it's been a long time since you have felt loved. Maybe you've dealt with sickness or some kind of chronic pain, and you wake up every day and you wonder, when am I going to stop feeling this way? It's been a long time since I've felt healthy. It's been a long time since I've felt love. It's been a long time since I've felt loved by anybody. It's been a long time since I've been able to express love to anybody. It's been a long time. Can I give you a word of encouragement today, church? Our Messiah, Jesus Christ, He came here to give us hope. He came here to give us peace. He came here to give us joy. And most importantly, church, He came here to give us love. God's not silent. God entered the world He created. God came in the flesh because of His love for us. And He gave His love to us so that we could love Him back and we could love each other as well. God's not silent. He and His love are alive. You know, I remember late Novembers, early Decembers, I'd go with my dad to pick out a Christmas tree. I don't know if any of you have those kind of childhood memories. Maybe you went with a parent, you went out into an actual like forest or a tree farm with that saw in hand, trudging through the snow, looking for that perfect tree. And with a saw in hand, I would do that with dad. And as a child, it seemed that every year we found that perfect Christmas tree. It was perfect. Now, as I grew older, I realized there was no perfect tree. Did you know that? 
Isn't it amazing as a kid you get older, you become a little bit wiser in things? There was no perfect Christmas tree. Every tree had a flaw. Either the, the trunk was bent or was crooked, or maybe there was a bare spot, or maybe it had a bad branch, or the star wouldn't fit on the top just perfectly. There never was a perfect tree. Every tree had its flaw. But that didn't matter to my dad. It didn't matter to my dad. See, because he would make that tree work. Oh, he worked on it. Whether he had to saw a little bit off there or maybe sort of pull branch this way or, or maybe he sat it in the stand differently or he just put the bare spot in the back, okay, where nobody saw it. And then they would decorate it. We'd all decorate it. But mom and dad, especially mom, had a way of making sure that that tree looked flawless. It's just amazing to me. You know, here's the thing. We aren't perfect either, are we? And yet God picks us. Just like my dad would pick a tree. He picks us. He chooses us. He pulls us out from wherever we are, knowing everything about us. He knows our flaws. He knows our bends. He knows our bare spots. He knows that we don't stand up right before the Lord. He knows that. He knows we're imperfect. But he chooses us and he places us on this earth with his spirit within us and decorates us with the fruit of the spirit to shine for him. That's what God does for us. That's his love. Look at Psalm 139, starting in verse 13, where it says this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14, Thank you. For making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Look at verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. We wake up in the morning and we sit there and say, I don't love myself. I don't like what I see in the mirror. I don't like anything about me. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to change this about me. And God says, I'm picking you as you are. I know everything about you. Before you were born, I knew you would look this way. I knew you would act this way. And just like my dad would pick that tree, our Heavenly Father picks us. I choose you. Don't you see this? I look at you that I created and I knit together in your mother's womb. I've given you purpose. Church, God created you specifically with purpose. Max Lucado said this, He interwove calendar and character, circumstance and personality to create the right person for the right corner of the world, and then he paid the price to take you home. It's sort of like what my dad did. He picked out that tree, he cut it out, and he says, I'm picking you, even with the falls, I'm picking you, I'm taking you home, and I'll pay the price. And he'd pull out his wallet, he'd pull out those crisp dollars, he'd pay the guy at the front, we put it in the truck and go home. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Don't you realize this about your body? You don't belong to yourself, Paul says, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Paul says, do you not realize your body, who you are, God paid for that. Just like he paid, like we paid for that tree. 
It's like God walked on this planet like dead walks in that tree line says, I see your imperfection. I get it. I see it. But I love you. And I'm taking you home and I will pay the price for you to be with me. See, it's not about us loving God first. We say, well, I accepted Christ into my life. We all say that. Well, I prayed that prayer and I placed my faith. I've, I've, I, I accepted Jesus in my life. You accepted him. That's great. But did you know it started with him accepting you? It didn't start with you loving him. It started with him, God, loving you. That's where it started. God's love towards us. As if we got to make the first decision. We didn't. Truth is, he loved us first. 1 John 4.10 says this. This is real love. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's love. God sent his one and his one and only son into this world. He sent his one and only son to sacrifice a payment to take away our sin. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8 says this. When we were utterly helpless, look at the person next to you and say, you're helpless. <laughs> Some of you are like, that was rude. Hey, I'm just saying, it. I'm telling you like it is. We are helpless. Usually what would I have, what would I have normally done? What would I have normally done? I would have said, look at the person next to you and say, I'm helpless. See, but when we do that, usually what happens, I'm helpless. And the other person says, I know, right? Okay. So we're just going to come right out and point at each other and say, you're helpless. So here's the deal. Everyone is, we're all helpless. Utterly helpless, as Paul says. And Christ came just at the right time and died for sinners, as he said. He said this. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person. I would. You know, I'd be willing to die for somebody, especially that person's a good person. Okay? I'd I'd give up my life for a really good person. But wait, wait, wait. What did it say? Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But would you die for an evil person? Would you die for a person that's not so good? And that's probably where we all start drawing the lines. Well, I probably wouldn't, honestly. Now, some will say, oh, no, I'd, I'd put my life down for anybody. Would you really? Anybody. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we're sort of sticking our nose up at God and sinning against him. Doing everything that we know is against God, he said, I'll still die for you. That's love. That's incredible love. First Peter 3.18 said this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Now listen, this is Peter. This is Peter who lived with Jesus and walked with Jesus for three solid years. And he knows Jesus, and he says this, and Jesus never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you and I safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Jesus did this. Jesus, who never sinned, died for us. Church, this is Christmas. This is what Christmas is about. It's about the love of God who says, I will send my son, Jesus Christ. I'm sending my love to you because I love you so much. I see your flaws. I get it. And I still love you. That's love. And you consider this process of Jesus coming to this earth. No one of royalty would ever lower themselves to what Jesus did. 
There's no way. There's no way. Born in a stable? Really? What royalty is going to have birth in a stable? And you're going to take that royalty and place it in a manger that cows and animals eat out of. And, and the smell, the stench, the trough. I mean, this is no place to lay a newborn. This is not where royalty is born, right? But we wrapped in the Savior. We're going to wrap the Savior. And the Messiah was wrapped in those rags, those cloths. Not in a robe. Not in a purple blanket. Not put in a onesie, but put in rags. That's royalty. But that's how God entered the world. That's love. That's God's relentless love for us. That's his coming into brokenness and breaking the silence for 400 years and say, you know what? Y'all feeling right now like you're not loved. You're probably feeling right now like somebody's walked out on you. They don't love you anymore. I'm breaking the silence. I love you. Love you so much, I'm coming to this planet in the flesh to express my love for you. Let me ask you this. Be honest with me, church, okay? Do you ever question God's love? Do you ever question God's love for you? Do you ever say, God, how can you love me? God, look at my circumstances. Look at my life right now. Do you really love me? I mean, if you love me, why is this happening to me? Been there, done that, right? Some of us in the room have felt that way. We've said that. We've probably prayed or cried or screamed out to God, God, if you love me, then why is this happening? Listen, you can't measure God's love by the world's decay. Right? You cannot measure God's love by the world's decay. What I mean by that, Sin, death, the circumstances of what happens in this world, the results of sin, that's not how you measure God's love. That's how you measure the sinfulness of this world. And because all that junk happens to you, that's not God's love being thrown at you. That's sin being thrown at you. That's the decay of this world being thrown at you. Do not measure God's love by that. That's not how you measure God's love. You measure God's love by God's intervention and by His action. You measure God's love by His truth and love expressed. If God's willing to enter this planet to lower Himself into poverty conditions, if God is willing to wrap Himself up in the rags and be placed in a manger, if God is willing to become dependent upon a young girl, if God is willing to limit Himself to the emotional and physical strains of this world, then all questions about His love for you and I are off the table. We can maybe question his actions and decisions, but you cannot question his love, church. We cannot question his love. In the same way, I think about this, my parenting skills, my choices can be questioned. Rex, do you spank or do you do time out? Do you do rules or for this? Or what's what do you do for curfews? And, and oh, do you ground them? Well, here's what I would do as a parent. Oh, I don't agree with you as a parent, Rex. Okay, that's fine. Maybe as parents, all the parents in here, maybe we have different ideas on how we raise our children. We would probably disagree maybe on some of those things, but here's the thing. You cannot argue with me about my love for my boys. You can't. We might disagree about how we raise our kids, but we can never, ever, 
argue with me about my love for my boys. It's non-negotiable. In the same way with God. You may not understand the way this world works or how God intervenes in your life or doesn't in your life, but here's the thing. You can never argue with God about his love for you. Non-negotiable. He loves you, period. He loves you. When the apostle Paul fully grasped the truth that God picked him and his flaws and says, I love you, Paul. He wrote something down. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. I know this isn't your typical Christmas passage. We'll get there. Ephesians is in the New Testament. Get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Get Acts, Romans. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and boom, there at Ephesians. Okay. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Starting in, in verse 14. I was thinking about this. You know, for Paul, he was so humbled by the love of God that he said this, and starting in verse 14, when I think of the wisdom and the scope of God's plan, I fall to my knees. And I pray to the Father. Think about this. Think about this. Have you ever thought about God's plan for rescuing you? That he would send his son, Jesus Christ. He would come in the flesh. That God would leave royalty, would leave his kingdom his heavenly kingdom, and come here to this place for you. Have you ever thought about that? Paul did. And when he thinks about it, he falls to his knees and he prays to the Father. Verse 15, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. He goes, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep this love really is. Paul says, I want you to understand the love of God. Do you understand, church? I'm praying right now that your heart understands how deep, how wide, how big, how unmeasurable the love of God is. Church, do you get it? Do you understand it? You cannot measure God's love for you. He goes on to say this in verse 19. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it's so great, you're never going to fully understand it. Then, you'll be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul basically is saying this, God's love is amazing. I don't want you to question it. I want you to understand it. I want you to experience it. Love has come. Church, let me ask you this. Love has come. Have you received it? Have you received the love of God? Have you opened up your hearts or do you reject his love at times? John 1, 10 to 11 says this, that, He came into this very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and they rejected him. See, people actually reject the love of God. That's so hard to believe, isn't it? When you go to the first book of John, which some people say it's a great Christmas story because it talks about Jesus coming as the light of the world, but yet people rejected Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Now we're getting to the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 6. As Mary and Joseph made their way to Bethlehem, we read in verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. 
She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, laid him in the manger. Now listen to this. Listen to this, please. Because why? Because there was no room for them in the village inn. There is no room. Now, we don't do this, but I sort of miss those days of the kids' pageants, the kids' Christmas plays, where they put on the robes and they're shepherds, you know, and we get the sheets and we make angels' costumes. And, and there's always the innkeeper. He's got like what? A couple words, right? Comes to the door and Mary and Joseph, he walks and goes, there's no room in the end. That's his line. That's it, Right? There's a lot of us boys, I remember growing up in Sunday school and church, we were like, I want that part. I don't want to have to say anything. The other guy's like, can we just be shepherds? We'll just wear robes and a little thing on our head, and we don't have to say anything, right? Us boys who didn't want those speaking parts, we took those roles. But think about this. That innkeeper, sorry, there's no room. Boom, shuts the door. Missed the opportunity to meet Jesus. There are many today who are like this innkeeper. No room for Jesus. I got so much going on in my life right now. No room. No room in my home. No room in my life. We have to ask, why is that? Why is it that some of us feel that way? I don't have room for Jesus right now. Got all this other stuff going on in my life. I don't, don't, don't have room. Don't have time. Some people, they just don't feel worthy. They feel unworthy. They feel like they're too sinful to have Jesus in their life. Have we forgotten that Jesus came to the world in the first place? Did we forget that? And the reason I say that, because maybe some of us think he didn't know why he was coming. Did, he, did, did we forget about that? It wasn't like God was up in heaven. He had this big plan, this big purpose, and he sends Jesus. And then as he sends, like, oh, wow, that's really sinful. That's a sinful world. Oh, I didn't realize I was sending him into that sinful of a world. I think I thought it was sort of sinful, but not really bad sinful. Did we think that? Did we forget that God knew how ugly this world was with sin? And he said, that's exactly why I'm sending Jesus. So for the person who says, I'm too sinful or I'm so unworthy, you can look at him and say, you're exactly, and I'm exactly why Jesus came. Forget measuring the sin. It's just sin. And that's why he came. He knew exactly why he was coming. He was born in a stable. He's put in a feeding trough. He was wrapped in rags. His entrance was into a vile situation, in a smelly, unsterile condition. Our sin is no different. Our condition is no excuse. When we ask Jesus to come, and he's, he's, you think he entered a smelly stable once, he can come into my life, and it can be pretty smelly at times. You know, clean it up just like you did that stable. He came knowing exactly what it would be like. Some people fear letting Jesus in for various religions or reasons. They think, oh, you know what? If I let Jesus into my life, I'm going to become one of those religious nuts. And I'm going to have to act in a certain religious way. And I'm going to have to give up stuff. And I'm fearful what's going to happen because I'm going to have to fully surrender my life to Jesus. And then I'm going to be all this like religious-like. And I don't know if I can do that. Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 to 20 says this. Jesus said this, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent. Turn from your indifference and listen very carefully. Look, I stand at the door and knock. 
If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together. Jesus, I'm standing at your door. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Will you open it up? My earthly father, Joseph, tried that. No room in the end. Sorry, not opening up. Jesus, I'm knocking on your heart right now. Will you let me in? Will you let love in? The innkeeper in Luke 2.7 missed out. He had no room for Jesus. He was so busy. He was so preoccupied. It kept him from knowing Jesus. And I'm telling you something. In ancient times, hospitality was at a high priority. Everyone was hospitable with each other. And to not let Jesus in was totally against that culture. But he was so busy, whether it was his materialism, preoccupation, maybe he's exhausted from all the running around, we can easily miss Jesus and letting him into our life. Church, we've got to be careful that we don't become so preoccupied, so busy, so running around that we forget to let Jesus into our daily life. In the Christmas story, Matthew 2, 8, we also know that Herod missed it. Herod was an evil man. He killed his wife, killed three of his sons. He was an evil, murderous king. He missed it because of his self-interest. He was a king who was like, look out for me, look out for my throne, look out for everything I've got going on here. Oh, yes, tell me where the baby Jesus is going to be born, wise men so that I can kill him. Because he wanted the throne to himself. Some people won't let Jesus in because, well, it's all about me right now. There's no room for Jesus right now. Because I want to win the prize. I want the promotion. I want first. I want this. Jesus said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Oh, good job on the promotion. Good job on chasing your dreams for all this stuff. But you forgot about me. Sounds like Herod. The religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, they missed it. They knew Jesus was in Bethlehem. They're the ones that told Herod, Herod, where's he going to be born? Oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. The religious leaders knew where Jesus was. They didn't go visit Jesus. Of all people, How can you say Jesus is the most important thing in your life and yet not go see him? This past week, I sent an email out containing my devotional thought about Christmas. Steve sort of mentioned, I I said in my email that I was listening to this Christian radio station. And they were talking about, the DJs were talking about, yeah, well, our church isn't having Christmas on Sunday. Oh, our church isn't having Christmas on Sunday either because, well, it's Christmas and family tradition and we're going to open up presents and I like staying in my jammies and drinking hot cocoa and on Christmas morning and I really don't want to get out. And, and I get that, right? So I'm listening to them say that. And as I listen to them, it sounded really sentimental and family-like, right? Which we all love. But here's the problem. The church... The church, we what? We proclaim what? Jesus is the reason for the season. Christmas is all about Christ. Christmas is all about Christ. Jesus is the reason for the season. But we won't meet next week to worship him so you can go home and open your presence. Anybody have a problem with that? If I'm going to stand up in front and tell you that Jesus is the most important thing in your life, why would I not want you to meet together to worship him? That's, that's the problem I had because I was thinking this through. Do we cancel church on Easter? No. So why would we cancel on Christmas? And if the shepherds left their jobs and the wise men left their homes to go visit Jesus, why can't I leave mine to go visit Jesus and worship? And if we're going to tell, talk about being, I'm all in, I'm fully committed, I'm all for Jesus, why would I miss the opportunity to worship with my church family? See, that was all going through my mind as these DJs were talking. 
So that's why, like, oh, you know, I'm just going to write this, express my emotions on this. And, and I didn't want people to f- come across thinking, oh, Pastor Rex is really legalistic. Or he's against family traditions. Or he's going to get mad at me if I don't show up on Christmas, okay? Because you're all sitting there going, great, now I've got to come next week. Because he knows I was here. And he knows, okay. Okay. I'm just saying this. If the church, if the pastor stands up front and says, Jesus is the reason for the season, the pastor should not be the one then saying, but don't worry about coming next week to worship. That's what I'm saying. It was confusing to me. And it made me think of the religious leaders. Oh, there's a Messiah that's coming. We will worship the Messiah. And when he comes, he will change this world. He will save us from our sins. And Herod comes to those same men and says, where is this baby to be born, this Messiah? Bethlehem, you going to go visit him? No. Did you not just say he's the Messiah? Why would you not go visit him? Didn't make sense to me. Who finds this love? Who finds this Jesus? Those who seek. Those who open the door. Jesus Christ came here as an expression of God's love. Love has arrived. If it's been a long time since you felt loved, I ask you to open up your heart to him this morning. Let him know, God, I do not feel loved. God, I don't know if I can love others. Let it begin with him loving you and you accepting that love. God, thank you for loving me. I want to open up my heart to you. God, thank you for loving me. I want to love you back. I just don't know how. Be real with him. There's a Bible teacher by the name of Harry Ironside. He he told this story of an old woman who was really in deep poverty, and she was living in this little garret in London and was afraid that one day the police would come and arrest her because of all the debt that she had. She couldn't pay her rent, couldn't pay anything. She thought... Please going to come get me. What happened that this pastor of a church heard about it and the people who loved her wanted to do something about this. So they went to this pastor and they, they decided to get some money around and they would pay off her rent and pay off her creditors and take care of all her debt and even provide some extra money for her. So with the receipt of the debt in his pocket and all the provisions for extra money in his other pocket, uh, he went to take it to her. So he got to the, the apartment, and uh, the neighbors only knew her by her name, which was Old Betty. Okay? So when he got to the building where um, she lived, the minister asked, can you tell me where Old Betty lives? And the neighbors said, well, yeah, you just go upstairs, you go around, and it's a certain room. They gave him the room number. So he went up the steps, looked around for the room number, went to the door, knocked. No answer. Knocked again. No answer. And he called out, Old Betty, are you in there? Nothing. Nothing. So at last he went back down the stairs and he started to leave. And then some of the neighbors saw him leave and they said, oh, did you, did you find old Betty? I said, no, I knocked, but she didn't answer. And they said, oh, oh, well, she's in. She's home. What do you mean? He says, well, she's just not letting you in because she's probably afraid you're one of the creditors coming. And uh, she's just not opening the door. So when he heard this, he, the pastor went back up the steps went to the door. And this time he knocked and he said, Oh, Betty, you let me in. I'm the pastor. I've come to see you. 
And then quietly you heard this voice and, okay, I thought you were the police. I was afraid to open the door. And she opened the door. Pastor told her, said, your friends in our church has raised money to pay for your debt, to pay off all your debt. Matter of fact, we have, here's the receipt and here's extra money to take care of your provisions, your needs that you have right now. And as she took that, was very overwhelmed and embarrassed. And she said, just think. She said, I locked and I bolted the door against you. I was afraid to let you in. And here you were, ready to pay my debts. Haven't we done the same thing with Jesus? He stands at the door and knocks. He said, would you let me in? I've got a love for you that's been expressed by my coming to this planet in a manger. Will you accept my love? Will you take that love and take it out to this world? Here's the thing. We talk about loving God, loving others. You can't do either one until you first understand what it means for him to love you. When you receive that love and say, thank you, you start loving him back, you do that by loving others. Christmas is an incredible season, is it not? Hope, peace, joy, but above all these things is love expressed by the God of this universe. Would you please stand with me as we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you're an awesome God, full of love, which is amazing to me because like that Christmas tree, there's no such thing as a perfect tree. No matter what I do to try to find one and pick one out, display it, no such thing. And God, just as you came to this earth, you know there's no such thing as a perfect human being. We're all flawed. We all make mistakes. But yet your love for us is immense, incredible, and relentless. To send your son to come in the flesh and and to be born in poverty. To be born in an unsterile situation. A corrupt condition. That's where we all are flawed and corrupt and vile, but yet you love us. Oh, that's amazing. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Love came to this planet wrapped in a manger. Lying in that manger, that love grew. Your son, Jesus Christ, grew to the point where he extended himself on a Roman cross paid the price so that we could be at home with you. That's love. That's Christmas. God, I thank you so much that we can celebrate this season, not just one day, but it's like a whole season, a buildup. I'm so excited about. I'm so thankful for that. The anticipation, seven days from now, a week from now, from Christmas, we got all week just to think about how awesome you are, your love for us. 
But God, maybe we haven't accepted that. God, maybe right now we've sort of thought you can't love us and we're unlovable. Forgive us for that. Forgive us of our sins. You stand at our hearts and you knock. You want to come in. God, come on in. Come on into our lives. May your love take root in our hearts. Lord, I pray for this church right now. There are some in this room right now. They do not feel loved. It's been a while since they felt love. And maybe somebody they love is no longer here. It's hard for them to express that love. God, right now, I just pray that your love just pours upon them. Pour out your love to us, God. Let us know that you are here. Just as you came a couple thousand years ago, you're still here now. God, I just pray that with your love, we will learn to be more loving people. That we will take your love and express it to each other right here in this room, right? It starts here at this church, loving one another and then taking out and loving our family and then loving those at work and loving those we don't even know. We get to express that love. That's a Christmas present we can give away to everybody. God, thank you. Keep working in our hearts, God, as we sing this song to you. As we worship you now, in thy name we pray.